Lord Almighty, we come before you this morning and we rejoice to be in your presence. We thank you that you open up our hearts and minds, our eyes and our ears, so that we can hear what you are saying to us. Lord, it is so crucial for us to have you near us and to speak to us. God, help us to get what you are saying so that we will be the men and women of God you want us to be and we will be those who pass along what you give us so our near ones can get it too. We love you, Jesus. Amen. My daughter is my daughter. My daughter loves to tell good daughter jokes and then quickly say, get it? For example, a man was mad at his bicycle was broken. It simply would not go anymore because it was too tired. Get it? Or how about how many apples grow on the tree? All of them. Get it? Why, yes, I am proud of my bad dad joking being passed on to the next generation. And I have a point to this. To get something has multiple meanings, multiple connotations. The way Eliana uses the word, it means, do you understand the pun I'm making? Do you get it? To get something also means that, that something is given to you. It's, it's a gift. You get a Christmas present, for example. Now, definitions.net has 35 more connotations for get that I won't get to in this sermon. Because English is a difficult language to get, so go get your homework done. And having get it on your mind as we get to this parable will help us understand what evidently Matthew and Mark both consider to be Jesus' most important parable on the kingdom. Today, our big idea is simple. Get grace and give grace. Jesus wants you to get grace. He wants you to understand it. And Jesus wants you to get grace. He wants you to understand that grace is a gift. And then when you get this grace, he wants you to pass it along. He wants you to give it, to re-gift it. Jesus wants you to let your near ones get it. So be the one who passes it along and you will, be, you will rejoice because that's what God has for you. So let's see where we get this in Mark chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Again, Jesus began to teach beside the sea and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching to them many things in parables. I want to give you a bit of advice. Never simply skip over the in-between verses. For example, these two provide context. They, in this case, they provide crucial context for understanding Jesus' parables in Mark 4. In both Matthew and Mark's versions of the life of Jesus, the chapter on the parables of the kingdom of God follow hard on times of persecution. Now, it isn't full-fledged persecution yet, 
But the seeds are there and they are growing. And so Jesus taught them many things in parables. Now, last time I mentioned that Jesus means, he, he wants his parables to be both a blessing and a judgment. Jesus' parables are a blessing. They are a mercy to catch the ear of those who want to hear. And his parables are also a judgment. Because if the ears that are nearby do not want to hear, they won't. The parables are a judgment. We will be judged if we don't want to hear. Those who don't want to hear will find an excuse, an excuse not to listen. So they have their excuse. You don't have to listen. You can choose to walk away for now. And the parables are also a mercy. They are honey to the soul of those who hear and long to learn so that they can know God better and therefore love Him and trust Him more. Jesus spoke in parables because He wanted to draw people closer to Him. He wanted them to say, Lord, I have no idea what you're talking about. Please help me. Help me draw close to you because you have the words of eternal life. So choose to listen or you will lose your ears. Now the judgment aspect of Jesus' teaching in parables, the fact that Jesus obscured his teaching to those who did not want to hear the good news, makes it all the more important that, like Eliana, who wants to let you in on your joke and says, get it? We must also get grace and give grace. So go to God's Word, especially the Gospels. Hear Jesus for yourself. Listen to Him for yourself. Listen humbly and prayerfully so that you will get grace and be able to give it. For example, here in Mark 4, 2 through 9. In his teaching, Jesus said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on a rocky ground where it did not have much soil. Immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell onto good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, I'm going to admit, when first reading this parable, my reaction was, wow, that was a waste of a whole lot of seed. Now, I have been impressed with C.S. Lewis's argument that we in our culture today are far too often guilty of chronological snobbery. Chronological snobbery is the fact that we tend to think that people of former times, like those in first century Israel, were less intelligent than we are. And therefore, they did silly things like believe Mary could be a pregnant virgin. 
Now, Joseph obviously didn't believe Mary could be a pregnant virgin. He knew he wasn't the father, so he presumed she had been unfaithful, and he resolved to divorce her quietly, you know, so as to not stir up too much trouble for her. For her. Nice guy. Of course, we are chronological snobs when we intentionally forget that these, you know, ancient imbeciles were also the ones who created the pyramids, who created vast aqueduct, and created roads that still exist in good repair 2,000 years after they were made. Having walked some of those roads, having driven on others, I try hard to avoid chronological snobbery. I choose to actively believe, until given more evidence, that the ancients were far wiser than they appear. And that's why when I come to this parable, I struggle. Surely the farmers could not have been so dumb as to just waste all of that seed. So dig with me now just a little bit deeper. No, first century Israelites did not have modern agricultural methods and technology, but they did have a plan. A farmer would go out in his field and he would sow seeds. And then a a son or a worker would follow along and he would have a plow and he would plow that seed under the dirt in hopes that the seed would germinate. With God's blessing, the right amount of sun, the right amount of rain, pretty soon a harvest would come. And yet, in this parable, this this parable helps us to see that something else is going on. The farmer is not going to simply toss his seed onto rocks or toss his seed onto the road or throw his seed to intentionally feed the birds. You miss the whole point of the parable if you miss this. Jesus is exaggerating. The enormity of the waste here. The enormity of the waste in the farmer throwing his seeds where it's useless shocked Jesus' hearers. No one then or now could picture the farmer who would literally throw his livelihood and the future meals of his daughters and sons so carelessly. No one would do that. But remember, very often, Jesus would shock his hearers so they'd be roused from their slumber. They would wake up and pay attention to what he was saying. Last time we we looked at John chapter 6, where Jesus says that his followers must eat his flesh and drink his blood. Oh my goodness, that's disgusting. We better listen up more closely to find out what Jesus is saying. And Jesus did not mean for his followers to be cannibals, but he knew. Jesus knew if he could stun his people, they would have one of two different reactions. Either they would say, Jesus, what do you mean by that? An example of that is exactly what we're reading now. The disciples come. What are you talking about, Jesus? But then there were also others in John chapter 6 who said, these are hard words. This is a hard saying. Who can hear them? And they walked away. They had their fill. Then they would experience judgment. 
it is not the enormity of the waste that is being emphasized by Jesus. It is the generosity of sowing. Jesus comes and he sows the good news of his blessing everywhere to everyone. The seed of the kingdom is broadcast throughout generously, wastefully even. Wasteful generosity, wastefully generous grace to everyone, everywhere. This was not the first time God the Father had done that. Isaiah 55 is another example. Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And why do you spend your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. Wastefully generous grace to everyone who will listen. God is generous to a fault. Well, except because His riches are unending, there is no fault. He pours out His grace abundantly because it keeps coming. He wastefully pours out His blessing upon blessing. Like Niagara times Iguazu times Victoria Falls times 10. It just keeps coming and it doesn't stop. God's grace knows no limit. God's blessing knows no limit because there is none. Now what does this mean for you? It means God is willing and God is available to bless. God is willing. God is available to show His extravagant his reckless favor to any who will ask of Him. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. Grace is His undeserved power to accomplish His purposes. It is undeserved. It doesn't depend on what you do or don't do. It doesn't matter where you've been. And it doesn't matter what you've done. Just come to Him and ask Him for that grace. You cannot earn His good disposition to you. You cannot unearn it. But you do need to ask for it. You do need to humble yourself and say, Lord, may I have some of your blessing. This is the first lesson of the parable. The kingdom of God is extravagantly generous to you. And Jesus is casting out the seeds of grace to everyone, everywhere. So get grace and give grace. At issue in this parable is not that we understand first century agriculture. The lesson in this parable is that God is excessively generous. 
The proper response to this generosity is to call out for more. Jesus, I need more grace. Lord, I need more blessing. This is exactly what the psalmist is saying in Psalm 116. What shall I render to the Lord for all His benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. When my boys were very young, they used to sign, more please, more please. They wanted, they wanted more food. They wanted more drink. And all we need to go to do, all we need to do to pay God back for what he has done for us. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? More please, more please. In this parable of the kingdom, Jesus gives you permission better than that. In this parable of the kingdom, Jesus gives you a command to expect generosity from the Lord. More please. More please. Now there's another lesson that we need to get from the first half of this passage. The kingdom of God is excessively generous and it is available. And He is here with us. The kingdom of God is at hand, as Jesus said in Matthew, or Mark 1.15. God is recklessly available. His blessing, His favor, His generosity is recklessly available. It's close enough for you to touch and grasp and believe the promises of God for you in Christ. That is what Mark is getting that's what Jesus is getting at here in 115. And this is the message of the first parable of the kingdom in both Matthew and in Mark. And this is the message we must hear if we are to hear rightly. God is here. God is available. He cries out to anyone, to everyone. But not everyone will hear. Not everyone wants to hear. Not everyone is willing to humble themselves to hear. What we learned last time remains true today. Choose to listen or you will lose your ears. We know this is true because Jesus warns us to hear. In verse 9, he says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Pay attention. Pay attention. Choose to listen or you will lose your ears. You and I must understand that there is more to this parable than agricultural instruction. There is depth. It is profound reality regarding the world as it really is. Don't miss it. Listen. Don't ignore God calling out to you. Why will you die, O Santa Maria? Turn. Turn to me and live. Choose to listen or you will lose your ears. Now with that, we come to Mark's statement on why Jesus gave the parables. Verses 10 to 13. When Jesus was alone, those around him with the twelve also asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you it has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive. They may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. 
And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Last week, I unpacked the fuller version of this in Matthew chapter 13. And I have really nothing to add this week except to say that while Mark was more concise in, or while Matthew, yeah, I'm sorry, Mark is more concise, but in Mark, we find a slightly different emphasis. Verse 13 controls our understanding of what Mark is trying to get at here. He says, do you not understand this parable? If you can't understand this parable, how are you going to understand all the other parables? This parable of the soil is the key to understanding all the parables of the kingdom that we find in Matthew 13 and in Mark 4. And it sets the stage for us to understand all the other parables. And without this parable, we will miss the point of the rest. And that is God's extravagant, wasteful, reckless blessings are available to you. All you have to do is ask. All you have to do is want them. Here's what Jesus says. The kingdom of God grows in a way that is unexpected. The kingdom of God grows in spite of the concerted efforts of enemies. The kingdom of God grows because the word is effective. The word is powerful. And the soils are good. But the soils are good because of God's excessive, wasteful, reckless generosity that makes available to anyone and everyone, no matter where they've been, no matter what they've done, it's available to you. And so, Jesus unpacks and expounds on this. Verse 14. The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on the rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulations and persecutions arise on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones that hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. So in verses 3 through 9, we see that the emphasis is on Jesus scattering the seed of the kingdom of God. God is generous. God is available. Then here in verses 14 through 20, Jesus emphasizes the reality of the reception that this, the sower of the word gets. So what do we find? What, what does Jesus say? Nothing. Nothing. Worse than nothing. Nothing. And then glory. Glory because fruit comes 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Now, the surface interpretation Jesus gives is pretty clear. And it's instructive. 
the word about the mystery of God's kingdom, the availability of the generosity of God to any who will call upon the name of the Lord is rejected, and then it's rejected, and then it's opposed, and then it's rejected, and only a very few will humble themselves enough to hear. Now, agriculturally speaking, this is unheard of in first century Israel. A harvest like this would be miraculous. Likewise, spiritually speaking, a harvest like this in, in sharing the good news of God's generous, available blessing would also be miraculous. But guess what? We serve a miraculous God. We are supernaturalists. And you are a part of this story. God the Spirit is in you to be a part of this miraculous story. So get in the story. Get grace. And give grace. Go to your near ones and share with them how God has been good to you. Go to your near ones and share with them what you know about God. Don't be afraid of their questions. Just speak from your heart. And, of course, study and help from other godly believers will help. But you need to know ahead of time. Some will hear and some will not. Your job is to share. Your job is to get grace and then pass it on along to others. Bill Bright used to say that sharing the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit is sharing the gospel and then getting out of the way. Leave the results to Him. Get grace and give grace. Now I have another question that I want to bring to this parable. Who is the sower in the story? Now, you have to get this. This is the most important application question in the whole parable. Why do I say this? Because Jesus, talking to His disciples, says, do you not understand this parable? Don't you get it? Now, the first and obvious answer to this question is that the sower is Jesus. Jesus is the one who is casting out and spreading the seed of the kingdom of God everywhere to everyone generously. The kingdom of God is the fact that God is now active. His activity is as close as your fingertips. His reckless generosity is available to all who will open their ears. Come, everyone who thirsts. The kingdom of God is available to you so that you will be able to live the life of trusting His promises. Now, the second obvious answer is also true. The sower is us. Don't you get it? You are the sower who is casting the seed of the mystery of God, the mystery of the kingdom of God generously. This is why you can't use the excuse, I don't like them, or they just don't want to listen, or they, they just don't care. No, your job is to cast the seed. 
of the mystery of the kingdom of God, that God is recklessly generous to you. And He is willing to be recklessly generous to your near ones. The kingdom of God is available to your near ones as close as their fingertips. Jesus is available to them so that they too will be able to live the life of trusting God's promises. Now, if it's true that we too are the sower, if it's true that we are the ones in the story and we are the one broadcasting the seeds of the grace and mercy and power of God to everyone everywhere, then you and I need to take seriously the opposition that Jesus tells us will be ours in this parable. Paul does not shrink from the reality of this opposition either. He says in 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Satan will take away some of the word that we sow. Our own disciples will themselves fall away. Some will turn away from Jesus because of tribulation or persecution scares them away. Jesus says that right here. <clears throat> and just the realities of life sickness, troubles, frustrations, problems with our kids. Life will just turn some away from the hope of Jesus. So be ready. In fact, one of my duties as a pastor is to prepare you for tribulations and persecutions. They are coming. They are here. So how do we prepare so generously? What do I mean by that? Speak the good news to your own heart so that you get it. Then take that good news and speak it to everyone near you. So it generously so that everyone around you knows the goodness and gentleness of God is available to them so that they get it. Jesus is extravagant. He is wastefully generous in his dealings with us. Why? Because he went to the cross and bought that generosity for us. He paid the penalty of the wrath of God against every sin of every man, woman, or child who would trust his promises. Jesus bought this grace. And Romans 8.32 tells us, he who did not spare his own son, but graciously gave him up for us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Everything we need to do his will is ours in Christ because he died on the cross for my sins. He bore that wrath for me. Romans 8, 32. So declare it to everyone within shouting range. Broadcast the truth. Jesus is generous to a fault. You can have his blessings no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done. All you got to do is ask. Come, listen, open your ears, hear.
this broadcasting of God's grace far and near and nothing else. This broadcasting of God's grace far and near and nothing else will spare you the turmoil of soul in the midst of the tribulations and persecutions that are coming. So glorify God. Glorify His extravagant grace available to any who ask. Tell your near ones. Beg your near ones. Ask. Ask of God, why? Why will you die, Santa Maria? Turn, turn to me and live. Sow the word. Why should you sow the word? Because Jesus says it will bear fruit. There is good soil around you. If you are sowing, he will make sure of it. He's God like that. 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Now, what does this look like in your life? Well, I don't know. But I do know that God can come through in ways that you and I cannot imagine. Remember, we are supernaturalists. We believe in a miraculous Savior. And we will one day look back on this day and we will say, look how He came through on His promises when we could not understand it. Therefore, get grace and then give grace Jesus' parables are not joke far less bad dad jokes although they bear some resemblance to good daughter jokes but we do need to get it we do need to pay attention so that we understand we do need to get it and receive it as it is a Christmas present for our souls and we will get it if we open our hearts to be ready to hear the parables, we will get them when we open our hearts to be ready to help others get it. Trusting that God will do the work that only He could do. So get grace and give grace. Oh Lord, we want Your grace. We want You to pour it out upon us like Niagara Falls, like Iguazu Falls, like Victoria Falls times 10 because we need it. And Lord, the more we receive it, the more we will see that we need. So pour it out on us. And then Lord, make us to be hoses of grace so that that water can flow to others as well. Do this in us, Jesus, because only you can. We love you, Jesus. Amen.